The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. My guest today is Glenn Kine, who is the Senior Vice President and Head of Networks for Warner Brothers Discovery for Australia, New Zealand and Japan. That is a long-ass job title for what is a big-ass job. Uh, Glenn took over running the... You know, Three was the, is the sort of the core of this company in, in a local sense, and it was divorced from MediaWorks a couple of years ago, and then bought by Discovery, and then that Discovery merged with with Warner Brothers to create this what is now one of, if not the biggest, media company in the world, and he has the job of running it for three uh, territories. He's a New Zealander and runs it from New Zealand, but. Uh, but it's it's a big and complex thing, and but as he points out, New Zealand, while being the smallest of the three territories that he oversees, it's also probably the most diversified and one of the most diversified territories that Discovery has. Warner Brothers Discovery has. Sorry, I always get corrected on that, and rightly so. Anywhere in the world, and as a result, you can kind of in a microcosm see how the different parts of the business are performing and, and test and, and learn things as a result. Uh, I've known Glenn for a few years now since uh, he, you know, since we worked together on on the spin-off TV some years ago, and I've always found him a, a very kind, curious, super thoughtful executive. And I think that this conversation bears that out. So we talk about the the local television market, how how linear is is behaving and evolving, uh, how how streaming uh, is sort of impacting that market and and interacting with the the, the sort of you know how, how Warner Brothers Discovery's business is interacting with the the downturn in streaming globally and uh, and with with the big technology companies that are also functionally in a similar kind of streaming entertainment space albeit with zero content costs so we talk about that we talk about Honestly, a whole lot about reality television, about the RNZ TVNZ merger, which honestly could be dead by the time you hear this, uh, and uh, about the the sort of breakup with with MediaWorks and and how all that's uh, sitting. Uh, it's I think a really fun conversation, a good way to sort of set the table for how the whole streaming uh, and television world is going to play out in in 2023 uh 
So yeah, enjoy. This is Glenn Kine from Warner Brothers Discovery on the phone. Glenn Kine and welcome to The Fold. Kia ora Duncan, thank you for having me. So when I first met you, I think you you ran commercial for New Zealand, not a small job, you know, not, not a low stress job, but certainly nothing compared to your, your new role, which now doesn't just encompass running Warner Brothers Discovery for New Zealand, but also Australia and Japan, which my research should suggest are actually much larger countries than, than this one. How, how did all this happen? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, look, we went through, as as you know, I think we last talked, I think we just completed the merger of Discovery at the time. And then, of course, you know, Warner Brothers um, deal turned up with, with Discovery and, and that merger kicked off from, from April last year. So I found myself uh, quickly after that um, in charge of the networks business across Australia, New Zealand and Japan. And you're right. Um, Japan is, you know, the third largest media market in the world. Um, it's enormous, um, and Australia is a fairly sizable, you know, media market um, as well. And so, for me, you know, absolute privilege to um, have experience in those markets, um, and the benefit of seeing how other markets operate and the players turn up, and, and you know how we might benefit from that here in New Zealand as well. So, I mean, how, how do, does it actually sort of physically work? Because they're Along with a different scale, they're also a long way away from yeah. one another, particularly Japan. Like, how, how do you sort of manage it? You you based here, or like, what what's the what's the, yeah? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me if I'm honest. I'm, I feel like I'm based on an Air New Zealand flight um, quite a bit. Um, so certainly, look, home is home is Auckland. My family are here, um, and and we're committed to that. You know, I've got. Um, you know, teenage children, and so um, the Auckland is very much home. Um, I spend uh, a lot of time um, depending on the needs of the different businesses to be where I need to be. So, um, you know, often in Japan, um, I'm off there in a couple of weeks' time, actually, for two weeks. Um, next week, I'm off to Australia for the best part of a week. Um, and so um, there are always different um, needs of the various businesses. And so look, my goal was just to try and be where I need to be at any given time. I'm actually very fortunate in New Zealand. You know, we have um, obviously the free to wear business um, is hungry. You know, it's got a lot of moving parts to it all the time. Um, but I'm very fortunate that we've built, I think, really strong muscle memory in the leadership team. Um, over the last couple of years and so that business runs really effectively um, and the team get me engaged if I am overseas. The nice thing is that Japan, um, the time zone's not too bad, um, you know, three to four hours and, and, and Australia's only a couple of hours and so it does mean that, you know, over the course of a day you can get a lot done in normal business hours. Um, but equally, you know, I do, my days are different from most people. Um, I do find myself on calls in the evenings uh, dealing with the UK and the different time zones to make it all work. I think also post-pandemic, um, Warner Brothers Discovery has become very comfortable in running a multi-sort of territory global communication model, you know, using all the tools um, at their disposal. And so that works really effectively. In, in, so Warner Brothers Discovery, I think, is is it the second, like it's, it's certainly one of the largest media companies in the world, but compared to like a, a Disney, for example, which has a real, you know, has been built in this very kind of strategic way over decades, there there is a there's not as much kind of obvious thematic cohesion to the assets under control. Uh, how do you sort of go about kind of welding to, them together, or like, or is, is there like consolidation coming, or like what what is the 
the process by which those sort of disparate brands are going to cohere into something which which has a logic to it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, the um, obviously Discovery had its own history of how it came together, and then Warner's. You know, there's been a lot written, obviously, about its history and different ownership structures. And so, um, first of all, bringing those assets together. Um, you know, I think I think it depends which metric you look at. You know, whether it's revenue, audience, or different things. But we're either number one or two globally with the the um, the range of franchises that are available uh, in the world, and just the depth and breadth of presence um, around the world, which is quite unique um, and different. So, look, the way we we organise the business um, to try and simplify that to some degree is, you know, we have a streaming um, business that. Um, uh, is largely US centric um, at the moment, but with global ambition, um, and we do exist obviously from a streaming point of view in a number of markets around the world. Um, we have the networks business, which is um, you know um, channels, pay TV partners, affiliate partners, a uh, number of free to wear businesses around the world, um, and then we have um, effectively our studios business, which is. Um, you know, often what people were very familiar with, you know, whether it be HBO or the DC Universe or those things. So where a lot of the content output generates from. So we try to structure the business along those three lines. And, and um, uh, you know, I think it, it will probably be a work in progress. You know, it was only nine months ago that the merger happened. And so we think this is the right model right now. Um, and it will evolve over time if we need to. Do you think that, you know, for, for most of the rest of the streamers, there has been a strong period of Basically, hauling their rights back in house, and uh, and that being their sort of USP when it comes to uh, their audience. Whereas, you know, WBDs are quite atomized at the moment. You know, you've got HBO, which has got a strong association with Sky, CNN, which is kind of a brand unto itself. The Discovery Plus brand, Discovery brand, full stop, is not as prominent here as the you know the global scale of the company would suggest, and. Warner Brothers makes a bunch of shows for TVNZ, for example. Like, do you foresee over time that, that those things will come together a bit more or is it always going to be a bit of a wholesale retail operation in some respects? Um, I think there will always be an element of being a wholesale operation and, and I think the last year has been quite instructive globally in what's happened in the streaming world. Um, you know, you, you're you're well familiar. You've reported and talked about it. You know what happened when Netflix and their Q2 earnings result last year, right? They had a downturn for the first time uh, in terms of their um, subscriber numbers and, and and what that meant for them financially. And you saw a reaction actually around the world um, with Disney um, coming out with um, you know their own sets of challenges. And and at the time. Uh, that news was happening is exactly when the merger um, between Warner Brothers and Discovery was was happening, and so the company um, at the time I think that um, streaming is not all in uh, for all ends. You know we have to be diversified in the business model um, and put our content where we think we do can do the best job for the audience, um, and then get a return obviously on that content. And so I think there will always be an element of having a wholesale uh, role in the market. And globally now we talk about um, what we call windows, uh, and so you know the window of who gets the content first, who gets it second, third, etc. And so streaming will will continue to play an incredibly important role in that because that will you know over the long term become the home um, of you know our content. Where you know as a consumer you should expect that you can go there and source Warner Brothers content, but equally um, our partners are going to be incredibly important for us as we think about the windows of how we give them access. In terms of you know that that year in streaming, like I, it was for a long time, both from a 
you know, like a, a Wall Street or an investor perspective, it, it was seen as, you know, this, this thing that could almost only possibly go up. And then just at the time, as you consolidate into you know, the merged entity, as you say, that was when the, mm -hmm. the sort of sentiment changed. And at the same time, interest rates started to go up. You're qu quite an indebted company um, at the present. What, what was, you know, the, how did that kind of manifest internally? How, how was everyone feeling as the, you know, the fever broke at a, a time when, you know, you, you kind of almost would, would, could have done with another year or two of, of, the, uh, of, of that running? Yeah, well, it was a reality check, right? Everyone had to kind of deal with and pivot on strategy. Um, pretty quickly, and I think that um, you know we were we were certainly uh, you know in my remit, my part of the world, um, you know reasonably lucky. You know we we had spent um, a year or two building the free to wear business, and you know post the initial sale to Discovery, um, strengthening that as much as it could. So that was on a trajectory, and that we were able just to continue doing that. Um, and certainly, it brought us closer with our partners in Australia and New Zealand to figure out how to, you know, continue to work with them. And so, for us, uh, there wasn't necessarily a lot of change. It was sort of a deepening of what we currently do in the market, but then thinking in the future about um, how we bring streaming into Australia and New Zealand. And um, you know, the big priority for us domestically was was three now, and, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, with then an eye to bringing in a paid streaming product, and what we knew to make our streaming world work, our traditional business had to be as strong as it possibly could because the stronger that business is, the more we can funnel audience through to um, that streaming, uh, those streaming products um, into the future. So um, globally, a lot of pivot. I wouldn't say a lot of change here. Um, clearly, we went through some changes where we brought you know, disparate organisations together uh, to operate as one business um, in Australia and New Zealand. But in New Zealand, um, you know, that was had little effect. Yeah. One of the things that, that's kind of characteristic of Warner Brothers Discovery is there's a lot of uh, different brands and uh, and they're all, they've all got, they're, they're amazing brands, like let's be honest, brands like at CNN and HBO, uh, Discovery and so on have like a, a pretty incredible kind of weight to them. But, but there are a lot of them. Is there any sense that, you know, Three, which is obviously a brand that has a, got, got huge consequence in the New Zealand market, but might not necessarily, you know, if, you're, if you were looking to consolidate or unify around a single brand, which seems to be Discovery internationally, is there any chance that, for example, that might become the hero brand in, uh, in the local market? Or, do you, or are you pretty married to, to Three as the, the, the big, lo big local representation? Yeah, a, a deep commitment and long-term marriage to three uh, <laughs> would be the answer to that. I think um, three, you know, has a really wonderful and I think unique place in the, in in, um, in the market. A really important place, particularly when we think about um, the news product and and a lot of the entertainment content that's originated out of three over the years. So um, we think that's hugely important. No ambition to change that whatsoever. We think that the rest of the brands um, can supplement themselves within the three environment in some way over time. And actually, um, the business here um, is, I think, more recognised globally than what perhaps people might think sitting here. There are two businesses in the global Warner Brothers Discovery, or two territories, I should say, in the Warner Brothers Discovery universe that are really interesting. New Zealand being one of them, 
um, and Poland um, being the other. Not necessarily a lot of similarities between the two territories, but the reason they're interesting is that um, we operate at scale in both territories at most segments in the market. So what I mean by that is, you know, we've got a free-to-wear business, we've got partnerships with Sky, we've got a BVOD product, um, we're, we're operating in the licensing business, uh, we originate content that we sell overseas. And so we operate in multiple segments here, which is really interesting, as does, um, as does Poland. And, um, you know, the one segment, obviously, that we're not in yet um, is, is paid streaming, but, you know, that will come. How um, far away? Uh, no announcements, Duncan, other than that will come. I think the... Um, the priority is uh, in the US, the summit or the US summer. Um, and what's happening there is the convergence between the Legacy Discovery Plus product and the HBO Max product coming together as a single platform um, and a single offering. So that'll start in the US and then, and then start to uh, roll through the world. And I'm, and I'm sure I'll be here talking again about that at some point. <laughs> Look forward to that. So yeah. with, uh, with that linear product, you know, I, I sort of – the ratings aren't particularly public in New Zealand in the way that they are in other markets. And I know that ratings versus share is a, can be a contentious issue. <laughs> I've had conversations with Karina, who's, who's over in the corner, your, your head of yeah. uh, corporate comms, on, on that. But um, by any measure, the, the total amount of the, the linear television yep. audience is, is shrinking relatively rapidly. Uh, though, you know... To, and I think this is fair to say that news for both, uh, you know, three slash News Hub and for TVNZ is relatively strong. Like it's 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 not declining by the same um, uh, to to the same extent. And and obviously, like the, you know, Discovery has a big uh, digital business, and and there is a kind of an AVOD and an SVOD um, future out there, but. You know, at what point in a, in a small market, given that there are some quite high structural fixed costs to, to running linear, does it become uneconomic? Or to put it another way, how long, how much longer is is the is running those sort of that variety of businesses going to be to make economic sense for a company like the Warner Brothers Discovery? Yeah, I, I mean, it's fair to say with those trends. I mean, they're not new trends; they've been happening for a while, and so. Um, you know, our number one priority for the free-to-wear business in New Zealand is to become a digital-first organisation, right? And and there's a couple of interesting things that have happened, I think, over the last couple of years. Um, so first of all, you know, you talk about the economics. We've seen in the last couple of years, um, and this year will be, I think, a tough advertising sector, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But in the last couple of years, we've seen that um, the revenues generated on the digital platforms have actually met or surpassed the decline of revenues on the linear platforms. And that's been a really good thing in terms of the transition and making that transition um, a lot easier and giving a lot of confidence to actually increase investment in the, the three now type um, platforms. So that's been really good. Um, secondly, we've seen um, in our business um, a huge shift in the way platforms like three now are used. So we've had you know, over half a million new registrations in the last 12 months. We've had um, a huge increase, about 65% in streaming. But when you look at, when you look into um, the consumption, live streaming is up over 150%. So we're seeing now this replacement on the screen of a linear analog where people aren't even plugging in the, the cord anymore. 
and they're going straight now to, to live streaming on the Three Now app. And so this replacement that is now happening, I think, at mass adoption and mass scale is happening, which is actually really good for us. Um, and it gives us, you know, accelerated benefits of being in that digital economy um, in terms of being able to trade. And so that's looking really positive um, for the outlook of the business. And, you know, the more we can do to accelerate that, we're very focused on doing that. I mean, and I I understand that that, that scale of adoption it's always the caveat that they're coming from a relatively low base by comparison to what the the linear scale audiences sure. were. Uh, the the thing which I sort of I don't quite understand. I mean, and this has always been the case with media, right? Like everyone has got a lovely story to tell you about their audience, both the scale and the quality of it. That's that's us. That's that's everyone in every market. No one is going to say, "Yeah, our audience is quite small and just a bit bad." But we'd still love to sell you some ads. That's, that's, that's the nature of, of these businesses. But what I don't quite understand is, is how, you know, given that, that so much audience has gone to UGC platforms, you know, the likes of YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and, and even some on Facebook still, um, that there is there a scale... Uh, business built around advertising, given the immense co content costs that are held by a company like Warner Brothers Discovery versus the zero content costs in, uh, in the balance of the advertising market that is UGC driven? I think, um, so first of all, you know, part of that um, transition of audience has also come across to our digital platforms, right, and is and is accelerating right now. So, you know, we're a net beneficiary of that, that shift right now. Um, I think also that, um, you know, we, you know, you talk about the business as being the transition from legacy to digital and the economics of that working. We think about the economics of our total business and how it works, right? So how do we look at the market like New Zealand and make sure that, back to your early question, you know, we might have content investments that may not make sense because we can't get a return on free to wear, but it makes absolute sense that we work with Sky to make sure that their content is apparent there. So we look at the total content mix of the market to make sure that the economics do work. Um, and that gives us, you know, a great deal of confidence actually to think about, you know, participating in these different segments at scale for the long term. Um, so we feel pretty good about that. Um, in terms of those um, other digital platforms, you're right, you know, they have a really unique advantage, don't they? There is no cost um, to the content. And I know that's a pet uh, topic of yours that you, you you know, you talk often about. Um, you're right, that's a challenge um, globally, right, for every uh, major content creator. But what we do see is um, huge, huge fan bases for a lot of our output. You know, if I, if I, you know, HBO just celebrated 50 years, you know, that is a, a go-to brand that is recognized around the world as, you know, the best at premium scripted drama. Um you know, CNN, as you said, you know, that's a global powerhouse in, in terms of news. And I think the more we can emphasize the power of those brands in the market, they will find an audience and they get great talkability um, amongst those super fans. Um, we've got to keep on doing that. And we have to think about those social networks around how they form um, an ecosystem where we can extend into those environments to pull audience back. And that is the fundamental way we do think about those platforms, as much as they are a competitor um, and have a different operating model, they can also be beneficiary, you know, we can be a net beneficiary of working with them um, as well. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's your perspective? And it's a slight pivot, but the, you know, the government recently announced um, uh, a desire to legislate uh, Google and Facebook um, to start with, but with an opening for other technology platforms that deploy that kind of approach to, so that they might fairly compensate uh, news producers for um, basically for the for the reuse of their their content. And I must say, I don't know whether this is just the way I've trained the algo, but I see a lot of, for example, Ryan Bridge uh, clips repurposed on TikTok, like little cut downs. They're never um, coming from Tree. They're, they're user generated. Obviously, he's got a big fan base, but I, it sort of strikes me that you know these, this is content. You know, like TikTok's famously struck a deal with the uh, music industry to to revenue share with them. There, but the, this content, which is you know monetized by advertising, um, set against it, uh, I can only assume has that, that that has no flow on benefits beyond a little bit of brand. Two, three. What uh, what was your perspective on that announcement by Willie Jackson late last year? And you know, do, do you think that there is ultimately a case for a similar kind of revenue sharing going not just from audio but into the video space um, for that kind of remix culture UGC usage of uh, your content? Yeah, I think any you know any content creator in any context right wants to ensure that they're being monetized for where their content turns up you know, as a basic principle and we're no different. Um, so, you know, we have a significant investment in the news um, uh, ecosystem here in New Zealand. Um, you know, we employ over 200 people. We make a significant um, output commitment, um, both uh, on linear free-to-air and, and digitally. And so, you know, if that content's being utilised, you know, we'd like to be monetized by those platforms for, for using it where they are getting an additional benefit with their audience engagement. And so we were pleased to see that um, the legislation or the, the um, proposed legislation um, is going to be tabled. We look forward to seeing what that legislation looks like at some stage soon, hopefully. Um, uh, and I think that, um, you know, there's been a level of, um, I guess, frustration I guess is one word over the last 12 months that, um, you know, we haven't been able to move more seamlessly towards getting agreement with some of the globals um, on the news um, um, commercial arrangements. Um, I think, you know, personally, I think it's slightly frustrating. We haven't been able to be more aligned as an industry and we've had breakout players do their own thing. And I think, you know, if there was one cause to bring us together under commonality for common good in New Zealand, this was certainly one of them. But um, I certainly hope that you know um, all media players get a positive outcome in the next six to nine months, with a view that this legislation provides a backstop for people. When you say breakout players do do their own thing, do you mean the likes of uh, TVNZ and RNZ signing direct deals, or do you mean the MPA not broadening the tent to exclude more, include more different types of media organisation? I think both. I mean, one happened as a result of the other. I think. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think you know, starting you know with the uh, MPA decision, you know, the, the fact that we couldn't all be together and and and, and certainly um, some were ruled out, I think, was slightly frustrating. Um, and I think missed a very important point. <laughs> Str strongly endorse that opinion for the record. Yeah. 
sort of another related uh, issue is obviously the merger, and we, as we uh, record this right now, it <laughs> remains nominally on the agenda. In fact, I think the actual final legislation may have been delivered in the last day or two, right? And yet, it, it remains like either the first or the second uh, item discussed in terms of being likely to be jettisoned under a new Hipkin-Cipolloni regime. You know, what do you think, what, what do you think the, the best, I mean, obviously we, we both made submissions, I've read yours, on the, um, on the initial bill itself, but let, let's assume for, for argument's sake that it doesn't go ahead. What, what do you think that that will ultimately be a good outcome for New Zealand and what do you think would be an appropriate sort of vehicle to replace it, if any? Yeah, I mean, it's they're such interesting questions today compared to this time last week because the landscape, as you say, is just so dramatically changed. Um, and you know, we wait. We certainly wait to see. You know, um, the I guess you know a reshuffle of cabinet and then policy announcements that that will flow from there. Um, interesting, you say by the way that the um, legislation you think has been tabled um, in the last twenty four hours. Um, we haven't. We we weren't, weren't. We knew this was the week, but we we. Uh, assumed that may have been shelved <laughs> um, for a week or two, but I had a source tell tell me that it that it has arrived. But uh, right. yeah, it all yeah. is very kind of cloak and dagger and sources and mystery. Yeah, look um, to answer your question, um, I think I think at the core of the issue for us around the merger was the challenge of being a mixed funding model, and what did that really mean? And there was a lack of articulation, you know, right up until um, prior to Christmas around. You know how that would actually turn up, um, in the sense that you know TVNZ in particular is the commercial arm wouldn't be empowered and emboldened even further to take more uh, revenue unfairly out of the market. Um, equally, we needed a TVNZ to stay strong as a commercial player in the market. So quite an interesting position. That is attention. As <laughs> attention, but we'd never seen any sort of concrete detail around how that w was going to turn up. So that was always an issue for us, and you know the challenge around potential market distortions that that could could create in a small market like New Zealand. Um, now, in terms of um, whether or not this happens or not, um, now obviously um, in the year, and you, you know you ask the question, what does the alternate look like? Well, I think first of all, I'd say New Zealand on air needs to be strengthened again. I think that the, the um, the challenge with New Zealand on air losing um, a large, <laughs> a large sum of money um, didn't just hurt, um, wasn't just problematic for our business. I think it was problematic for the entire sector. Um, and we think New Zealand on air can play a really strong role in terms of, um, you know, the the creative community more broadly here in New Zealand, and providing you know much further surety around you know output um, of content. Um, uh, in the long term, and they should be playing a central role, actually, um, given their um, kind of foundation documents of why they exist. Right, they can be playing an absolutely central role for government to make sure that um, the right audiences are being served, the right platforms are being served, um, and we're keeping New Zealand voices alive. We think that's really, really important. They're well placed to do it. Um, we always felt they were well placed to do it because we felt that the the merged entity was couldn't necessarily act in isolation of your business or our business that also might be wanting to create things that we felt were in the public good. We you know, we felt we all could play a role in that. And New Zealand on here we think needs to be topped up <laughs> um, to help enable that um, in the future. Um, I think some of the challenges that um, you know, depending on your perspective, being poorly or unpoorly articulated around the challenges of, you know, audiences and or revenue, um, they don't go away. 
um, they they start, you know, the the trend of you know a traditional you know radio audience moving to digital. Those trends are going to continue, as you've as you've pointed out. You know, the tr- the trends of traditional revenue streams and linear free to air TV channels, um, they're not going away. They're with us, and so um, the government will still need to respond to that um, in some way. Um, you know, I, I think that um, um, RNZ probably needs is a place that um, very clearly operates well under a charter today. Um, I think it could do with a top up of funding because I think it could do more um, as an entity. Um, I think that would be um, a good thing. And then I think the interesting thing uh, is what will happen with TVNZ. And as I said, we you know we're in this interesting position where we um, need TVNZ to stay strong as a commercial player to hold up the value of the um, broadcast video uh, advertising market in New Zealand. Um, equally, we um, don't want to see um, them artificially. Uh, emboldened that could hurt the industry and so um, remains to be seen exactly what the government will do in that space. I, mean, I, I know that you've to a certain extent repudiated uh, your predecessor Michael Anderson's position which was quite an aggressive stance against the, the way that TVNZ was operating in the local market but do you see and, and obviously that as, as you yeah, notwithstanding the critique of the the mixed model you know do you see the continued sort of not-for-profit status of TVNZ uh, set against you know your own business, Sky's business, being you know needing to return a a, a commercial return. Uh, do you still see that as being something that is a fundamental kind of unfairness within the market, particularly given that that you know the only reason they can do that is because they've got a, a beneficial owner in the government that is allowing them to trade in a way that is quite unconventional for a fully commercial entity. Look, it's 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 certainly a distortion and it's a decision for the government to make in terms of how they want to run with that. And it's and it, the reason I say it's a distortion is it's different from, you know, ourselves, NZME, MediaWorks, yourself, others who do have that commercial imperative to get a return. And so we do think about, you know, decisions differently as a result of that. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, is an interesting thought and something that we put in our submission is, you know, could those commercial returns actually be used to bolster New Zealand on air, you know, rather than direct to treasury, you know, could those commercial returns benefit the, the sector more broadly? So we'd love to see more of that type of collaborative thinking um, go on if possible. Um, let's talk briefly about the advertising market. You know, there's, as soon as uh, the words cool your jets left uh, Adrian Orr's lips in, in late November, basically everyone sort of started to act like a recession was coming, you know, on some level, you know, he, he's really admitted that that, that was his intention. Uh, advertising is notoriously one of the first areas that gets hidden in that respect. What's the, and and going into an already challenged sector that's faced years of, of um, different types of, of challenge and decline, what's it like out there in the local market from your perspective? Yeah, I think you're right. The advertising sector is in many ways a bellwether for the broader economy in terms of what's to come. And and um, if I just go back actually a year, you know, we were seeing for the first half of last year really strong performance. We felt really emboldened coming out of, you know, a deep Auckland lockdown. Uh, we felt that, you know, the, the economy was tracking well and, and um, was certainly favourable to the advertising industry. Um, in the second half of the year, we started to see the signals that, you know, the slowdown uh, was coming um, and the challenges were coming and that is absolutely flowing into 2023 um, for all players I think um, and so I think you know as we as we move into this period of uncertainty um, around what's going to happen with the economy I think um, uh, 
you know, the challenges of, you know, less discretionary income at home and more advertiser uncertainty or willingness to commit. Um, so all of these things put pressure um, on the sector. Um, and so for us, what that means is that, you know, we've got to be really disciplined around the decisions that we do make. Um, and equally, you know, as I've mentioned before, we've got to think about how do we diversify our business so that we're not all in on just one income stream being advertising. Do you think, I mean, there's been a number of uh, major media companies sitting aside even the technology companies which have announced waves of redundancies in the US over the yep. past few weeks. Do you think that, that that falls into the category of an inevitability in the local market? Um, well, certainly we've got no plans um, along those lines at the moment. Um, I can't comment um, on the others. I think one of the benefits that we've had over the last couple of years, even though working through two, two large global integrations in two years, has challenges um, for sure. Um, what it has done is made us, I think, really efficient and lean already. So, um, you know, we never anticipated the year that, you know, 2023 could be. But I think as a result of the work we have done, we're in a, actually a really strong position going into 2023. So as I said, we, we have no plans. Um, but would I be surprised to see it across the sector? No, no, I wouldn't. Now, this has obviously been largely focused on, on the business side, but I... I uh, late this afternoon, I record an episode of the other podcast that I, I co host, nice. uh, The Real Pod, which is uh, consumed with reality TV, which uh, Three has been historically a big broadcaster of. The, the Block uh, had a, a pretty interesting sort of finale, which uh, led in fairly short order to, to its hiatus and replacement with House Rules. Obviously, you're, you know, this is uh, on some level. You know, not not your specialty area, though it's that it is something you oversee. But do you see that the local reality? I mean, and Discovery is a big, big yep. broadcaster of reality worldwide. Warner yes. Brothers makes a lot of it. Do you? What what do you see as the sort of evolution of, of the of the uh, of the sector, and particularly in a local context? Um, so first of all, just to talk to the block um, quickly. So um, really tough decision to make. You know, it's a juggernaut of a franchise for us. Does does incredibly well. Um, it just seemed that it would have been a poor decision to continue to make that show in the current environment. It's basically only operated in upmarket for, for, for yeah. quality. You know? Well, yeah, that's true. And but it would have been poor for everyone, right? I mean, um, it, despite the economics of the show. You know, you want the contestants to have the best possible outcome um, as well, right? That is a, a bit large part of the success of the show and the jeopardy that occurs at the end. You don't want everyone going into it knowing it's going to be a bad outcome. It doesn't work terribly it feels well. Because like your cast <laughs> might not be the, the same uh, quality you might yeah. see too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, absolutely, I'm committed to um, uh, to reality formats. That won't go away. I think that's a really core tenant of free-to-wear television around the world. One of the points of difference that it is a home of um, reality. Um, look, we um, continue to bring um, and try to bring new formats, new reality formats to screen. And so we, we're constantly scouring the world, you know, whether that's through the Combined Warner Brothers Discovery Network or through other production houses to find what we think can work. And we're bringing some of those formats to screen um, this year, you know, we've got couples therapy coming in. We've got um, traitors coming in, which I, I reckon you might quite like that one. Um, so That's there's a very good thing. Yeah, <laughs> looks really great. So we're constantly trying to bring new formats to find out what will stick and resonate with New Zealanders. We're fortunate that we are part of a global network that we have access to see a lot of these shows and formats and and understand what is working. Um, equally, you know, you've seen a pretty big commitment to us from um, scripted drama and comedy this year. Um, and that is always a challenge for free-to-air networks.
folks because, you know, back to our earlier conversation, often a lot of the home of scripted trauma these days sits in a streaming universe. And so um, we've got some really important formats coming to New Zealand this year that we think we can do a job both on free to wear and on three now. And interestingly, with some of those scripted drama formats, increasingly we're talking to our counterparts globally at HBO Max and HBO to go, actually, can these formats travel globally? So what we originate here in New Zealand, can we tell these stories around the world? And so that's going to become an increasingly important part of our business model uh, moving forward. Um, and again, we're kind of unique in New Zealand compared to a lot of other markets around the world where we do have such um, large, strong and highly capable production capacity you know, emanating out of the business here. So yeah, re really excited actually about the content future. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's sort of super exciting for yeah. the local kind of creator and, and production yep. sector to know that you're not just selling to a, a local house. There's There's... An ability for that to travel yep. through just uh, Warner Brothers Discovery there. Uh, just quickly related, you know, in terms of the appointment viewing thing is sports, and you obviously had a pretty extraordinary result with the Rugby World Cup yeah. last year, which must have been quite, you know, just just to feel the heat from it, see the numbers come in, must have been quite extraordinary. And just setting aside the actual emotion of the events themselves and the quality of the games. But does that, and, and again, Discovery has has significant sports rights interests in, in other territories. We just saw Spark Sport exit the market, TVNZ uh, pick that up. You know, is there a world where there is a rehoming of, of more sports within three and on free to wear? And given that you saw such extraordinary results out of that Rugby World Cup uh, rights situation? Yeah, well, first of all, shout out to the Blackferns. That was an extraordinary um, – I was actually um, in Tokyo where I watched that watched the final um, and, uh, you know, slightly disappointed but excited to be on my own watching that. It was quite a moment and um, uh, not just for the Black Ferns but, of course, you know, what a job that tournament did to reset actually the outlook on women's sports rights generally, I think, which is a really good thing. Um, I think what that, um, what that tournament did in particular was show the strength of free-to-wear and what it can do for sport. Um, and I think those conversations, I've got no doubt, are happening with rights holders um, you know, all over the place to think about what is the role of free-to-wear um, and how does it provide a role to get greater exposure. From our perspective, look, um, I've been clear about this um, for you know a couple of years now. New Zealand is a challenge market. It's small. Um, and your ability to get a return on what is um, globally inflationary pressure on sports rights is a real challenge. And I think... You know, I wasn't necessarily overly surprised to see Spark um, leave the market because, again, the pressure in a small market to get a return is tough. Um, so we've always said that um, the role we can play is in partnership with others where, um, you know, the sport requires the free-to-wear exposure, um, particularly of our audience, right, which is different from a TVNZ audience, um, where we get that right and equally where the partner feels the benefit that they're getting um, – you know the exposure back through to their platform. It's almost and, like a freemium model uh, for for rights. Yeah, and I think that is the model for us um, in New Zealand. And um, you know we've done a number of things now, right? We we did the Women's Rugby World Cup, which is you know being well reported on. But you know we've done things in rugby league over the last twelve months with um, uh, 
state of origin, you know, a number of motorsport events. We just obviously had the Joseph Parker fight at the weekend and um, disappointing fight from my opinion, just saying, but anyway. Um, but, you know, we, and we will continue to do this. We'll continue to find those partnerships that make sense. Um, but no, we, we don't have plans to invest outright in sports rights in the, in the New Zealand market. Uh, so just finally, I want to talk a little bit about your um, media works, which, which three of which three was once a part. And, you know, like this, this time a year ago, there was quite a, at the time, it felt like quite a bitter dispute between Tover O'Brien, who's previously a, a real icon of the, the three, Fano and, um, and, and News Hub. You know, did that, you know, do you think that that, you know, with, with hindsight that that unfolded the way that it needed to and and how would you just you know also characterize the current state of re relations with uh you know what was formerly i can't tell whether it's like an ex relationship or a sibling <laughs> relationship <laughs> well you know um obviously mediaworks you, you know owned the business and, and sold the television business to discovery and subsequently merged with the warner brothers discovery so um uh it's not a sibling relationship right it is it is you know there is no formal um, relationship between the two companies anymore um well, yeah, yeah, where X is, um, but certainly Cam and I speak often, actually, um, and you know try to align around the the, the things that matter um, at an industry level, um, and often chat about you know the state of the industry. So I would say at that level, you know, the relationship is certainly strong, and you know we are, you know, it's very important to our operating model, you know, not no different from sport actually that we have really strong partners in the market where we can do things together, and and certainly we see MediaWorks as as being, you know, one of those partners. Um, Look, as far as Tova's concerned, look, she's an incredible broadcaster. Um, you know, every situation when someone leaves a business has its own set of rights around employment agreements and different things. And, you know, certainly that played out very publicly. But, um, you know, uh, I still think that Tova is an incredibly talented broadcaster. I think she's doing a, you know, a really stellar job on Today FM and certainly wish her well. Fair play. Um, all right. Hey, thanks so much, Glenn, for, for coming on the fold today. It's, it's such an interesting sector and so much of it is uh, is embodied in Warner Brothers Discovery. So I look forward to, to watching and, and talking more over the balance of the year. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It's hosted by Duncan Grieve with production by Tiahe Butler and Samuel Robinson. Series production is by Jane Yee. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.